Please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, there's some things that when we understand them, <coughs> they have more meaning. Such as, as you get older, you realize how much your parents actually did for you. Right? Those who have gone off to school appreciate what it takes to get a bachelor's degree. Those who went off in the military appreciate survival and what it takes to survive military service and military branch. And so, hopefully, most of us have heard or have some idea of the Lord's Supper. But today we're going to talk about what the what is the Lord's Supper, what the Lord's Supper is. Um, so often we get going with life and, and you know, it would have really been nice if the Lord in, in His infinite wisdom had given us the prescription for frequency and uh, how often we should do this. He didn't do that. So there are some people that believe it should be done every week. There are some people who believe it's once a month. There's some people who believe it's quarterly. And there's some people who believe it's as the Spirit leads. And so um, God's Word is silent. All it says is often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so I don't think it's about frequency. I think it's about how you do it when you do it. And so we are, this morning, are going to journey through this. We're going to journey through what the Lord's Supper really is. And so we're going to begin by reading 1 Corinthians 11, 23-30. And we'll be observing, at the end of all this, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to apply what we've learned this morning. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and Father, we thank you that as we dive into this together, I pray that this and Luke, the passage in Luke where Jesus sat down with the disciples, will shed light on what we're doing here today, and what we're doing when we do take the Lord's Supper. And so, Father, I ask you, 
to speak to our hearts. I pray that we will not take this in an unworthy manner. That we'll do it in a way that honors you and remembers what you did for us. And helps us, Father, to embrace the relationship we have with you and the role we have to participate in your kingdom. Thank you for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what is the Lord's Supper? I'm glad you asked. The first thing we see from Scripture is it is symbolic. It is a symbol. When we partake of the elements, we're not partaking of the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. There are some religions out there today that teach that it's the literal body and blood of Christ. The problem with that, it's called transubstantiation. The problem with that is Jesus said that he died once for all sins. And so there's not, he doesn't become, this doesn't become his literal flesh or his literal blood. It is a representation of him. It is a symbol. Um, these elements that Jesus does not teach cannibalism. That's not what he's doing here. He is telling us to remember. He does this in the first two verses that we read. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took what? Bread. Bread. And he had given thanks and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread represented him. He didn't take something and change what it was. If he had done that, it would have said that. Just like when, um, if you go back to uh, Moses and Aaron, when he threw his staff on the ground, it became a what? A snake. It changed the essence of what it was. And so that's not what's happening here. We would have been told. And so it is symbolic. It is a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's more than symbolic. It's a reminder. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is meant to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross and died because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the penalty for sin is death. Therefore, he had to die or we have to die for all eternity. So the price will be paid in full. That's the beauty of when Jesus said, to tell us die. It is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. And died on the cross. And then the Roman soldiers. Who were experts at crucifixion. Because crucifixion. The death, uh, death comes by suffocation. And so if, if they're lingering too long at, in, a, in a crucifixion, they will come and break the legs so you can no longer push up and catch your breath so that you suffocate and die. And when they went to Jesus Christ, they found that he was already dead. They never broke his legs, fulfilling prophecy that said no bone shall be broken. It also 
Here is the other significance of it. Jesus laid his own life down. It was not taken from him. He laid it down. When he said it's finished. And he gave up the spirit. And so it reminds us of what he was done. He was broken and his blood was spilled for you and me. Listen, we can never forget that. Boy, when I hear people talk about the cross or, you know, the, the Christian stories and, and it becomes so routine or so mundane. Yeah, we've heard that. We've heard that before. I hope the cross never becomes that for you. You know, there was a story of a, <laughs> this guy, was, it was a Sunday school class. From what I understand, it was a true story. But he got to the part, it was an adult class, and he got to the part of Jonah. And he goes, oh, we all know the story of Jonah and the whale. And so he went on to teach with something else. And they had a visitor that day, there that day. And after the class, the visitor walked up to the teacher and said, who's Jonah? Don't ever assume, and you know what, I'll tell you this. We can study Jonah over and over and over again and learn something new every time. When y'all think of Nineveh, y'all think of, we think of Jonah, right? Did you know he wasn't the only prophet sent to Nineveh? Did you know there's another Old Testament prophecy book? We call them minor prophets because of the size of the book that was sent to Jonah, sent to, Jonah, sent to Nineveh. Well, doesn't it say in doesn't it say in the Bible that Nineveh repented? Why would another prophet need to go? It's a great question, right? Well, as you study the writing, it was 120 years later that generation had died off and a new generation had come. And guess what they had done? They returned to the old ways. Interesting. That's your assignment. Go figure out who the prophet is that I'm talking about. <laughs> Who was the other prophet to Nineveh? So it's a reminder. Listen, when you take of the bread and the cup, we're instructed in the following two verses to remember him. He says in both 24 and 25, do this in remembrance of me. We're to do it in remembrance of him and what he did. We don't take it like it's some casual thing. Like it's toast points. This is a big deal. Jesus foreshadowed his own death just days away when he showed the disciples that he was going to be broken and his blood poured out. He showed them the sacrifice. We have reports of the sacrifice and we look back to the sacrifice as they look forward to it. And so it's a symbol, it is a reminder, but it's only for believers. This is not meant for unbelievers. It's not meant for those who have not come to faith in Christ yet. In Luke 22 verses 14 and 15, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. 
And when he and he had said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so here in the moment, moments before Jesus was to be betrayed and to be sacrificed, he pulls the apostles in. You know, Jesus was followed by crowds. He's followed by lots of people. At one time, he sent them away because he knew their heart. You will not find that in the church growth strategy books of today. But I'll tell you this. Twelve people with the right heart and the power of God upon them, look at what God can do. It's not about the size of the congregation. It's about the heart of those who God has placed there. And I would rather be small with a pure heart than ginormous with people just coming for a show. I'm not interested in that. If you are, <laughs> I, get, well, I, won't, I won't even recommend a place to you because you know why? I think that's the wrong way to go. Because when the eyes of the, the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whoever has the biggest congregation. Doesn't that kind of sound crazy? But we talk it that way. Why is that our pursuit? Why don't we pursue Him? Why don't we pursue the one who shed His blood, the one we're to remember, the one who loves us, the one who's trying to communicate with us constantly, the one who died to give us even His word, the one who left the glories of heaven where the angels flew around crying, holy, 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 to be spit on by the ones he created. Why don't we pursue him that loves us that much? And let him take care of the seats. This ain't about us. This is about him. What was about us it was about 2,000 years ago on the cross. That was about you and me. And so, this is for believers. When Jesus celebrated the Passover, he went to the upper room with the apostles. He didn't share it with everyone. Only the apostles to remember him and what he was about to do. That's who he shared it with. And so if you're still contemplating a relationship with Christ, if you're not sure, if you've never come to the place in your life where you've turned your life over to Christ and asked Him to save you, I would encourage you to do that this morning. That's the most important decision you can make today. That comes first. Before you're able to celebrate this. And so it's only for believers. But we see that it's not just a reminder. Of what he did. It's a reminder of his return. Which seems kind of strange. We're remembering that he's coming again. Well where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. 
Luke twenty two sixteen says this. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That was the last time he was to eat the Passover meal. Until one day when we sit with him in his kingdom. And so it reminds us that he's coming back. He's coming back for you and me. On top of that, he didn't leave us orphans. He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. To empower us, to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to teach us his word. To have spiritual insight, to see what's going on around us. To interact with us, to remind us how much he loves us. To give us gifts manifested as part of the fruit bearing as we abide in him. The Holy Spirit's work within us is very important to our ministry here. That God has called us to. And as a reminder to us. That he's coming again. He didn't just split and leave town. When Jesus tells us he won't eat it again. Until it's fulfilled in his kingdom. We're reminded that he's coming again. And he's going to bring his kingdom. And how that will unfold over time as the church is raptured out and the tribulation comes. And then the millennial kingdom. And listen, there's different views of the rapture. There's there's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and I think Don is a pan-trib. He said it'll pan out. That's what he tells me. <laughs> I told him if he wants to stay through the part of the tribulation, he can't. I'm leaving. Because I'm pre-trib. The reason, the, the only reason, I, well, the reason I'm pre-trib is the Bible says you won't know the day or the hour in the beginning of the rapture. Um, at the beginning of the tribulation, you can start counting. You'll know where the midpoint is. So we could, we would know the day. So it can't be mid-trib, and if you keep counting seven years, we would know the end. So that's why I'm, that's part of why I'm pre. That's one of the anchors for me. Doesn't make me right. I think it does, but it doesn't necessarily. <laughs> but there'll be a tribulation period, then the Lord returns and sets up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and we reign and rule with him. And then there's a period of time, an undefined period of time, where the the devil's released before we come to the great white throne. In there, at the end of the, at the end of the tribulation, there's a sheep and goats judgment found at the end of Matthew. You know, we could lay all this out. I had charts and stuff that I used to do for this, but you know what I realized as I was studying? You know, there's a, there's a verse in God's word that says, "This stuff is the milk of the word." we understand all of this about the end times but don't get how to live don't get the power of God in the moment you know I'm reminded that God's word says knowledge puffs up but love edifies that doesn't call us to be intellectually to intellectually ascend to this knowledge it's revealed. You can't understand anything spiritual unless God shows you. 
So you can apply all your brain power and never get what's in this book. It's spiritually discerned and spiritually understood. And we must operate in that realm, not in the other realm. Now, but pastor, what about study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed? We absolutely have to apply ourselves. But that opens up the opportunity for him to begin to reveal himself. That in itself does not make us better Christians. And here's a shocker for you. You ready? Don't nobody leave. (laughs) Sinning less does not make you a better Christian either. Here's the beauty. You have all the tools in your toolbox right now. Every one of them. I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? You are a brand new creation in Christ. You've heard all these things. Yeah, but I still struggle with this. Yeah, but I still... You're right. You're still struggling with that because you're not applying those things. And that's the journey. That's the journey of sanctification. The truth is, you already have the tool in the box... You already have the one who knows how you're all put together that already loves you. And if you seek him, if you lack wisdom, ask who he gives to all men liberally. This is the word of God. I didn't write it. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm barely smart enough to read it. (laughs) You're actually free, ladies and gentlemen. You're actually not in bondage to that thing that you think. You actually don't ever have to sin again. Well, but we do because it's human nature. Yeah, but you have a new nature. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Did the Bible say we have a new nature? But we want to excuse it because we don't want to own the responsibility. Fantastic. He's already taken the responsibility for you. Well, now that you're saved, I don't know how I'm on this, but I'm going to go with it. But now that you're saved, you need to go do this, this, and this, and this, and this, right? You ever heard that? Somebody gets saved? Anybody, was anybody told to read John after they first got saved? Anybody besides me? You know what? When I opened the book of John, it was like confusing. The words were like confusing to me. And I'm like, this can't be of God. And, I, and you know what I did? I prayed. It came to that. <laughs> and I said, where do you want me to read? I asked him, but what a concept. And he said, I want you to read Philippians. And you know what Philippians was about? Bottom line, love. That's what Mark needed at that moment. I need to understand all the details about John and and who Jesus was from an argument standpoint. There are people who need that. There are people who are intellectually engaging in that and it feeds them. And that's how God speaks to them. Where I was at the time, that's not what I needed. And God knew that. Now, I'm not going to encourage you all to go read Philippians. I want you to read your whole Bible. 
Because you get to, not because you have to. We get to. We get to spend time with Him. It's a joy. It's a real. Listen, I've never found a brand new Christian. If you just stay out of their way and encourage them and stoke the fire, it will rage. If you try to control fire, you smother it, right? Why would I want to smother the fire of God in somebody? That makes no sense. And so it's a reminder of his return. I have no idea how that goes to you, but it does. It's a reminder, because he's coming again, folks. He hasn't forgotten. He left us here with a purpose. And he left us with the Holy Spirit. And so he's coming again. It's also a statement of faith. If it's only for believers and you do it, when you take it, you're saying, I'm a Christian. See, it's our job to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming his sacrifice and death. That's what this does. It reminds everybody that Jesus shed his blood and his body was broken for us. That's, this is my personal conviction. That's all this is. That's why I think if we do it too often, it becomes just something we do and not, doesn't have the significant place that it ought to have. This is a big deal. This is one of the few things that could really hurt people physically if we do it wrong. So it's a statement of our faith. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Read it. Where I believe it starts in verse 4. Either that or it's 1 through 4. 4 is in there. Where it says, this is the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose the third day as payment for your sins. The gospel is defined for us. I hear people add in to the gospel repentance. It's not added in Corinthians. Now, does that mean we don't need to repent? No, that's not true. But that's not part of the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did. Our response that is a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And so if we want to be technically accurate, which I think we do when we come to God's Word, the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's the power of God unto salvation. When people hear that, when you're talking with people, tell them, Jesus died for you. He was buried and three days later, he arose from the grave. There is power in that story. I don't understand how that works or how that's the power of God. I just know it says it and therefore I believe it. There's something the Holy Spirit does when people hear that. And when we take of the Lord's Supper, it's a statement of faith. We're proclaiming his death. That's what this is about. We're proclaiming the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not just something we do as a church. Not something we do to make ourselves feel holier. Because you can't, 
be any holier than you already are if you have how many of your sins did Jesus die for? All of them. When you were saved, how many did he take? Not just the ones up until the time that you prayed. He took them all. So you're not sitting there with sin, even the ones you did after you prayed. Because I know some of you have done some. I'm one of you. I've done some after I prayed. Some is a generous word. Thank God they're all covered. Thank God if I was going 71 on the freeway and had an accident, you know, when the speed limit is 70. Technically, I'm a sinner, right? I'm going 71. Man, nobody's <laughs> I'm sinning if I'm not in submission to the authorities that God's given me, right? Yes, so if I go 71 and I have an accident and die, this thing is covered. It's gone. Well, we go, well, of course, that. But what if I did this? Or what if I did this? What if I was robbing somebody? And they pulled out a gun and shot me. Is that covered? Yes, it's covered. There's only one thing that keeps us out of heaven. And it's not putting our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's it. There's nothing else. So when we do this, it's a statement of faith. We're telling people we're a Christian and we're reminded of his death as a sacrifice for us. It's also, six, it's not to be taken lightly. See, with the Lord's Supper comes warnings to not take it unworthily. If you, uh, otherwise, you'll be found guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And the penalties for that include weakness, illness, or even death. And your text will say sleep. This is one of the few things that affects us physically if we don't do it right. If we come in here haphazard or we do it casual or we do it unworthy. 1 Corinthians 27 through 30 says, there, says this, Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. Wait a minute, let's go back. How am I guilty of the body and blood of Christ? What did Jesus die for? He died for us, but he paid the price for sin, right? So in other words, if I do this in an unworthy manner, that's sin. You follow that? That's how we would be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. So therefore it has to be sin to do it unworthily. Follow me? Good. There's a solution though. A man must examine himself in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That's the facts from God's word. You know, I used to share this and somebody said, now I'm afraid to take it. I'm good. Good. We should enter this with reverence. I think that's part of entering it worthily. And not casually. We're talking about the shed blood and, and, and body of Jesus Christ. That wasn't okay. He didn't go in Kenya. Read the story. He didn't stroll down to Golgotha. Hey, I'm going. It was anguish for him. It cost him something. And that's the story we're telling. Don't take it lightly. It's also a time for self-examination. Anytime you take the Lord's Supper, you must take time and examine yourself for salvation, for sin, and for the reason you're taking it. And I'm going to give you the answer to the last part. I can't answer the salvation... And I can't answer the sin part in your life. But the reason we take it is because I want to proclaim the death of Jesus Christ to the world. That's what he says. When you do it, this is why. There's no no gray in this. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat and drink of the cup. You know, how many of you in your life have ever forget, missed something important? Like you, you missed a meeting or you missed uh, something, a schedule on your event or forgot you forgot something important. Has that ever happened to anybody but me? Yeah, that happened to me two weeks ago. I forgot my dental cleaning. And she called me 15 minutes. Now, that maybe that's not important to you. It is to me because my teeth, I don't want them to fall out. But she called me 15 minutes afterwards. But there's other things, right? Places you're supposed to be, people you're meeting with. You forgot a critical piece you got on the airplane and went, oh, I got to the airport and didn't have your ID. You ever done that? I've known that to happen to people. They're racing home. They're driving by grace and not law. (laughs) But it happens to us. But we don't want it to happen here at the table of the Lord. We don't want to forget the importance of this. We don't want to forget what Jesus did. We don't want to forget why he had to do it. We don't want to forget his willingness to leave all the splendor and glory of heaven. We don't want to forget why, because he loves us. I've told people, Jesus didn't die for your sin. He died for you. He handled your sin. 
But he wanted to rescue you. He wants you. And he can't claim he doesn't know you because he made you. Well, he, they don't know me. He does. And he still would have gone. Well, we knew he was a little crazy. No. He's the Lord and he loves you. He can handle all of your, your goofs, all of your doubts, all of the reasons where you say, I don't know if I can trust him. You ever told him that? You ever just said something to him you know would be offensive, but it was true about where you were? He can handle the truth from you. That's all he ever wants. I've done that and I've had him be silent. That's fun. And then I've had him be, then I've done that and I've had him say, Mark, do you realize this is why you believe that? And it was one of those spiritual, beautiful owie moments. I would love to be covered in spiritual band-aids slowly. <laughs> Because he works gently with me over time. And so we're going to remember something important this morning. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. I wanted to put us in that position this morning. So that we can all eat more the way we can all celebrate. We can proclaim his death. That's what this is about. You know, as we wind down this year, a lot of people are starting to talk about, you know, their vision for next year, their vision for 2019. I'm going to give you a vision. Let me give it to you right now. Let us set our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith let us do everything we do to bring him glory and honor let us kneel before his throne and as he leads us whether it's outreach whether it's service whether it's it's giving beyond the tithe whatever it is let him be in charge and he'll take care of all that other minutia Now, are we going to have to talk about some of it from time? Yeah, we are. But if we're kneeled around the cross of Christ, we're kneeled around the throne together, it comes together so much more easily. When it's his timing. You remember the promised land? When this was the land that God had sent them to? That's not heaven, by the way, for those of you who've heard those sermons. Because there ain't no giants in heaven. <laughs> There's nobody opposing us in heaven. They're not there. You know, I heard, a, I heard a story. You know, I was listening to the news this morning. And somebody, I just, I almost busted out laughing. Because they were talking about, uh, y'all are familiar that the government shut down. And they're talking about a wall and all that. Somebody said, well, there's even pearly gates in heaven. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. That's one of the best things I've heard in a long time. Anyway, completely believe this whole thing. 
But when he's in charge, things work the way they should. Oh, um, the promised land. Even when you're where God wants you to be, sometimes there's opposition. Opposition doesn't mean you're not where God wants you to be. Because when he puts you where he wants you to be, he wants you to be reliant on him when when you're where you're supposed to be. He doesn't open up a path so you can start trusting yourself. He keeps us in a place where he wants us, where we're constantly trusting him. And the enemy will say, well, if God was in it, everything would just go smooth. You ever heard that lie? We ought to talk about the lies of the enemy sometime and deal with every one of them. Well, I can't deal with him because as soon as I do, he'll come up with something new. It'll be another lie. As Don says, every good lie has got an element of truth mixed in. It's true. And so this morning, we're going to take just a minute here as everybody bows their head and closes their eyes and our deacons move forward. We're going to take time for self-examination.